Hi, this is Brennan Davis from Bedrock Games and the Bedrock Blog, and I'm here with Adam Balderstone, and we're going to talk about uh, two episodes from Torchwood Season 1, Combat and Captain Jack Harkness. Uh, these are the two episodes before the finale, so we're getting to the, the final the, the, the final part of the first series. Um, so again, you know, as usual, I'll go to, I'll go to you, Adam, because these are your first time watching these. Well, uh, and starting with Combat, uh, you know, what was your, what was your take on that episode? I can't say it's one of my favorite episodes. I mean, it felt a little like kind of warmed over fight club in parts. And, uh, and I don't know. I mean, uh, I'm finding it like, you know, moody, heartbroken Owen just isn't as fun as unrepentant bastard mm-hmm. Owen. But, uh, I, 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 I found that the, the Gwen plot line was actually more entertaining well, to a degree with, you know, this dark and you know her you know drugging her husband to try and confess to him without having to have any of the ramifications of of confessing to him and then not getting an apology anyway i thought that that was great that was just a a great torchwood moment so that that alone like redeemed anything i i wasn't that crazy about with the episode yeah, it's a weird episode. I guess I should mention to, to listeners, just in case I haven't seen it, it's basically like a hybrid of Fight Club with Torchwood and the twist. And I'm going to spoil it for you if you haven't seen it, so stop listening if you if you haven't seen this episode. Um, the twist is that they're using these monsters called Weevils as sort of the focus of the Fight Club activity. So rather than a bunch of guys going and fighting each other, they lock themselves in a cage with this it's basically got like the jaw of a gorilla and like the body of a werewolf. Like that's kind of how I would describe a weevil. There's probably a better way, but they're, but they're like, they kind of look like lycanthropy and, and, uh, mm-hmm. except they don't, you know, they don't shape shift or anything like that, but they look like an animal human hybrid and they've got massive teeth. And so being able to stay in the cage for just a few minutes is like an achievement. And, uh, and there's like a, you know, the thing that draws Torchwood in is they go to catch a weevil and some people beat them to the punch, capture the weevil, and then take it to presumably one of their warehouses. And, and it's basically a fight club ripoff, like you said. In fact, I, I, my, my note is fight club ripoff. And even like years ago when I first saw this episode, I remember thinking, this is kind of like fight club. And, uh, yeah. and I think what's amazing about it, it doesn't even hide it. It's not even like, it's not, there's not even any no. attempt to like. To, to sort of smooth it over and make it fresh. They, they like literally recycle dialogue almost verbatim from fight club. Like there's a whole thing in there when he's like, you know, we are the children <laughs> of, you know, and, the, and it's, it's not the same thing that Brad Pitt says in the movie, but it might as well be where it's like, yeah, you know, we have no real struggle. We're just, you know, and, and, you know, it, it, they, it was, they, they reworded it but yeah. uh, that was about it. <laughs> but it was exactly the same idea, like exactly the same idea. uh, Yeah, and I I just didn't feel that character, you know, the guy that is the Brad Pitt stand-in, he wasn't a particularly compelling, I mean, I I don't know, it felt like near the end, they they had Owen, he starts to get sucked into this idea, but it was too late in the episode and for too short a time, I feel like this might have been, I don't know, I mean, it might have ended up being a worse episode, but uh, it, but it, I, I just felt like having him kind of, yeah, I'm going to get into this for a minute and then it ending. I was like, well, I yeah, I think feel like, I feel like they should have done that earlier or not at all. The stuff and, and this kind of gets into the next episode, too. It's a criticism of this episode and the next one. But I feel like the Owen stuff really 
I had a hard time buying like the the extent of his sort of emo grief that he yeah. was feeling and that and then it and then where it leads him in the end of the episode where he's like put me in the cage and I want to die and it just it was yeah. it's like too much cuz well number one like he just doesn't seem like that he seems like too selfish of a person to like really <laughs> do you know what I mean like his whole I character agree. is he's kind of a selfish prick and it just felt like well this feels kind of like convenient for the plot sort of a thing yeah. and they do carry it into the next episode but yeah it's... i feel like owen 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 would would just mercilessly mock the person owen is being in this yeah. episode is how i feel but <laughs> yeah and he, and he kind of just comes off as like a petulant child in the like like it just doesn't i don't know it just doesn't work for me even the scene no. where like he's fighting the guys that are like two times bigger than him and he gets them it's it just it just kind of just a lot of the stuff with owen i just didn't have an easy time buying i have an easy time buying him as a jerk and i have an easy time buying yeah. him as a doctor but this sort of i don't know what, there's like a james dean quality they're trying to inject into him that isn't <laughs> that i don't buy and I think that's no. my problem with 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 the Owen character. Um, but, yeah, he's he's got the, the the James problem from uh from Twin Peaks, basically. Where he's I'm the not familiar character. with Twin Peaks, so you might have. To oh, okay. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It just it's just he's he's kind of the brooding, the brooding character, heartbroken character who is uh Laura Palmer's boyfriend in uh in Twin Peaks, and, and nobody nobody likes that character. But I feel like okay. Owen is changing from this completely different type of character into uh, into that kind of character. Yeah, but, yeah, and, it, and, it, and and as we learn, it doesn't get any better in the next episode. Um, no, it doesn't. But... It doesn't. And I mean, I guess to make a larger point about TV too. I mean, you know, as someone that grew up watching TV in the seventies and the eighties, it's like it's great that TV has these kind of plots that unfold slowly on TV, but you know, with with giving giving TV characters character arcs, you could you could easily ruin a character. Yeah. It's like you know, Owen Owen was perfectly formulated to be this character in the Torchwood group that had a place. He's yeah. kind of the, the, the wise ass jerk who doesn't you know have any sentiment. And it's like then now they're giving him this character arc, and it's like he doesn't. Yeah work in the show at the moment i mean maybe he's gonna get, snap back i think but. it gets better next season i think they kind of find a way to make it work but um i feel like yeah. with him they didn't so i mean if you contrast him with a character like Toshiko, they use a term and you were talking about this aspect of television i think last time they use a lot of restraint like you still don't have a clear idea on mm -hmm. what's driving Toshiko, but you have a sense that there's something there and they're just not showing it to you yet. And it's sort of slowly being yeah. revealed to you as a viewer. And it's not drastically changing her personality as it's happening. You're just learning more about her. And with Owen, it's like these radical shifts and it's all very pronounced and loud. And I don't know, maybe maybe it's because he's meant to be an obnoxious character. So maybe they're doing what... They, maybe, maybe it's... I don't know, maybe they're succeeding. But like, I... I feel like like you like he'd be better. He he was he was already well baked the first two or three episodes. And, yeah, you know, maybe just yeah. exploring why he was a jerk rather than sort of taking him into this journey of, you know, <laughs> yeah. Because I have I mean, to believe so many things about him for that to for that to work. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and like I said, he. 
I mean, he's, he's not, you know, when I say I like him as a character, I, I don't like him as a person necessarily yeah. watching the show, but I really enjoyed watching his character through most of this season. He yeah. was always, always watchable. And it's like, why, why would you retune a character that's working perfectly? Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> and that's, and, and when I say he's a jerk, I mean, that's like the characterization is a jerk. No. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. but, but I think that would have been because this is sort of this, this is this the part of the character that kind of turned me off to the character. Do you know what I mean? Like this is where I sort of found myself not not as interested in in in, uh, in Owen. Um, yeah. But but I should say you mentioned very early on that he had many many fake aliases and they were all Owen Harper. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was funny that in this episode that comes up. Or I'm Owen Harper, uh, jellied eel exporter. Um, yeah, yeah, that was good. Uh, yeah, there's a weird, weird. Uh, I mentioned Twin Peaks. Uh, that and I think the reason Twin Peaks was in my brain is just because they have a, an odd Twin Peaks reference here, in that the uh, real estate company the guy works for is Lynch Frost, and you know Lynch and Frost are the guys that created Twin Peaks, and it's the name of the production company logo at the end of every episode, which was odd because. I I don't know why they were referencing Twin Peaks in a Fight Club episode, mm-hmm. <laughs> but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? There, uh, I I there, the the episode, yeah, the episode, and the episode itself, like by the end, I don't know the whole thing with like Owen going in there to die, and then the other guy going in there to die, and then and also the whole thing with them not even intervening, like when Owen's in there, they stop it, right? They stop it from killing him. And, yeah. And spoiler, when the bad guy, not the, he's not even a bad guy. He's just like, he's got a weird obsession with fighting weevils. And he's, <laughs> I guess, I guess the worst you can say about him is he, he allowed a person to be killed by a weevil who probably wanted to. He's, he's pretty mean to the weevils themselves. So I guess there's like a, you know, there's, there's that. And he pointed a gun at Owen, but he hasn't done anything like some of the real villains in the show have done yet. And, yeah. um, uh, but I would think they wouldn't just let him die. Like they wouldn't, you know, just, you know, I don't know. I, I, it was a little bit peculiar. I thought that everybody was just fine with, like I could sort of see Jack <laughs> doing it, but that everybody else was okay with it was a little perplexing to me. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it's a, uh, but yeah, bringing up the weevils again too, it raises a weird question. If they're out there catching weevils every week, where are all these weevils going? I mean, you know, they always have like a weevil or two in the basement, but it seems like they must have more of those. Do they have like, you know, dozens of weevils down there that we don't see or Well, at the end of the episode you know? we saw quite a few. I don't I don't Did know. We? Okay. Yeah, yeah, well we saw but, uh, I don't know how many there were, maybe four or five. as was my okay. impression. But I think they've but, just uh, been slowly catching them after because they, they appear through that rift and so anytime they've whenever they catch wind of one they capture it and you know, I don't I don't yeah. I don't think that they're I don't think they're killing them or anything. I think they're just holding on to them. It just um, seems like a uh, like something they they should and, you know have to deal with. It's like how many weevils can they hold? But uh, yeah, the the, uh, the the weevil plot. Let's see. My, to, to make my to make my nitpick for the week though, just my my geeky nitpick I have to make is the one 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 science. Not not that you go to the show for any kind of scientific accuracy at all. But the one that like just just got to me was, you know, oh, maybe the weevils are mutating. And someone else is like, or evolving. And it's like, that's the same thing. That's what evolution is. Maybe <laughs> when they said mutating, maybe they meant like by 
means of radiation or something like like more colloquially but yeah I, I, uh... yeah it's still it's it's that's that's you know just how evolution works things mutate and then that that mutation works it sticks around but now yeah, i didn't even notice that line actually who, who said that i can't remember i think i think uh I think it was Tosh who said the or evolving line, but I can't remember who made the original comment. Okay, but a... I could be I could be wrong about about no. Tosh too. No, I mean I, I just didn't notice it. That's um, I'll, I'll keep an eye out next time I watch it. There was also yeah, was of... oh, go ahead. I was saying it was just it was just one of those scenes of filling in information where it doesn't particularly matter who says what line of dialogue, so it didn't. You know, where it was just, <laughs> yeah. everyone's kind of throwing out the piece of information. That's why I can't remember who said what. The uh, the ending too. The ending was like Michael Jackson's Thriller when he looks in the camera and his eyes glow. There was like a little like there was a suggestion that Owen <laughs> Owen he's either tapping into his animalistic nature or he's like now a weevil and. I yeah. thought that was a really odd, yeah. like, especially since it clearly doesn't go anywhere. Unless I'm totally forgetting something from season two, which I could be, but I'm pretty sure that thread does not go anywhere. So I thought yeah. that was an odd well, that, ending. It, it goes off the fact that, uh, you know, um, Mark Lynch, that's his name, the guy who collects the weevils to fight. That he makes the comment earlier about, you know, I think they're us in like a million years or something. It's like, wow, we're seeing the first sign of humanity becoming weevils. But, <laughs> but, but also, I don't know. Well, here's the other thing I didn't get. I get that. Okay, I, I, I can understand that this guy was kind of like a little bit of a psychopath, maybe. But yeah. you, it's not like creatures like this don't exist in the real world. Do you know what I mean? Like we have gorillas. Yeah. We, they're not going around kidnapping gorillas and fighting them in cages. Like why? Yeah. Why when these guys discovered that weevils existed, is their first impulse to strap it to a bunch of chains and beat on it? Like it, <laughs> it just seems like a really weird motivation. Um, yeah, it, uh, it does. Like you say, you, there's there's all kinds of animals you can fight. You can you can get into bear baiting if you yeah. want, but. Uh... Because I mean, because the basic thing is these things have claws and teeth, and they're really dangerous. And you could have done; they could have been doing that with any number of animals. They mm-hmm. clearly don't seem to have been. And so I, and I just don't get like, okay, you see a weevil, and like that's your first thought is let's start a fight club with weevils. Let's, uh, you know. Um, <laughs> And it was such such a big fight club too. You know, there's people all up on the balcony and gathered around. It's like how this is. This is pretty noisy for what you guys are doing. Yeah, it was. This is definitely not one of my favorite episodes. I would, I would side with you on. That. I think. I mean, I think that it's it's interesting because it's so Fight Clubby that it's almost yeah. humorous, and maybe that's what they yeah. were going for. Um, but uh, it, it's. I, I just didn't think it was one of the most successful episodes of the season. No, but it, it, it passes the rule that it wasn't boring. There was no point in the yeah. episode where I was like, uh, I don't want to watch this anymore. Yeah, it just kind of I was I was strangely fascinated by the whole thing. And, no, uh, and, and you're interested in, whoa, you know, who is this guy? What is he doing? What are they doing with the weevil? Like you're you're interested in finding yeah. out. It's just that when you do, you're like, wait, what? The, what? <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it, it, it's not what you're expecting at all. 
Um, no, like I said, I and I, I actually found the the Gwen storyline pretty entertaining. I mean, that was well in a, in a dark way, just to her, you know, it's just it's just such a terrible, well, terrible thing. And it's funny because it's so easy. Like she's falling apart emotionally through the whole episode, and it's easy yeah. to not even notice that because you're so focused on the weevils that uh, you don't see. Oh, she's like in tears in like in Torchwood in darkness and. Uh, you know, um, <laughs> eating her trying to eat her pizza and being too sad to eat pizza but uh but also but yeah. with her character that's easier to buy into than the old yeah. stuff because it's like an ongoing relationship that's been like yeah. her and reese have been going on all season and so it just has a little bit more of an impact than him and like the woman from you know that got thrown through time <laughs> in the plane um yeah, I, uh, I noticed, too, that the little montage they do at the beginning of every episode where they explain the show added the uh, the airplane woman to the um, – uh, Diane, I think her name is, added her to the montage now. So she, she's she's very, very significant. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, – that was strange, but yeah, like you say, I agree. the uh, The Gwen stuff works because it isn't it isn't some radical change in her character. Her her having to juggle her life in Torchwood was that's that's her her thing in the show. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so in the next episode is like totally different. Um, mm. Captain Jack Harkness. This one's interesting because it takes place during the Blitz, and they basically go through a time rift. Right? They go back in time. I, I, it was a temporal shift, I think, was what they they called it, right? Was it a temporal shift? A temporal shift, I think, is yeah. what they called it, yeah. So so they go to investigate a dance hall that has, like, this music from the 40s or something, and they get sent... Him and uh, Jack Harkness and Toshiko get sent back to 1941. And uh, I, that is a really interesting episode. Um, but I'm interested in yeah. your thoughts on it before I say anything. <laughs> Yeah, uh, this is actually an episode I'd heard a little bit about ahead of time. I actually knew the whole reveal that, you know, there was going to be another another Jack Harkness who was the real one. But I, I didn't know anything beyond that. Mm. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, this is definitely a more complex episode. I, uh, it, it, I, I think it worked. It uh you know, I, I, I liked it. it uh, I mean, you know, I mean, it's very it's definitely very Torchwoody and that you end up with, you know, Jack Harkness kissing Jack Harkness, which yeah. is probably his ultimate dream. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> that was that was a supreme Torchwood moment. Yeah. But, you know, they, they, they played it pretty well. So I, 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 I I'm OK with that. And uh it, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, give, give me some of your thoughts. Some oh, of, sure. it's, this, this is a lot to take in in this episode. I don't have a nice pithy so, comment. So when I saw it first, I didn't have the reveal that you had. So I'm wondering how how that affected uh, you know the experience. Because when I first saw it, I remember being so confused when the guy was like, oh, I'm Jack Harkness. I was like, what? What? Like, what's going on? And then it, yeah. you know, it slowly kind of dawned on me, and then they explain it. Um, but I, I was really confused by that. I was like, wait, this doesn't make sense. And the episode's called Jack, uh, Captain Jack Harkness. So it's like right in your face from the beginning and you know, it's significant when you, but not knowing that I think is a really crucial piece of the episode. And so, uh, we probably had two very different experiences as a result, but I, I really, I, I like this one. Number one, because. It's like you said, it's like Jack's ultimate dream of kissing Jack Harkness, but it's also like a, they handle it in like a very 
touching way. I thought they do. And they, they and do. The, and the and the Jack the the real Jack Harkness. They don't they don't explain all the stuff that's going on with him and the girlfriend and and all that. But you get it. You understand what's going on. And uh, especially if you you know if you know the context of the time and all that stuff. And and so I thought it was a really great episode for illustrating, you know, some of the inherent uh, issues of, of time travel, you know, with with things like Toshiko's Japanese and yeah. the blitz is happening. And like, you know, and 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 and, and, and you know, pretty soon, you know, things are probably, you know, if she stays there, things might not like there was some hostility, but it's not as bad as it's going to get. And. And so stuff like that, stuff, you know, uh, you know, with the uh, actual uh, Captain Jack Harkness being gay and all that, I, I know I just thought it was an interesting, uh, uh, interesting context for all those things to be going on, and and I liked I liked the villain in this in this episode. I have some additional thoughts about him when we get further into the next episode, which I don't want to spoil mm-hmm. yet, but. I, I think he's this great looming figure who clearly is, you know, there's this character named uh, Bayless Manger who just has the perfect look for a villain. He's got, he's, he's <laughs> exactly. like, he's got like a regal aristocratic quality to, uh, to him. And, and he's, and he's just sort of flowing through time. It seems he's, he's, and, and it seems like he's behind whatever's going on with him. He basically lured them to the dance hall and he's, uh, you know, trapping them for his own purposes, maybe. Uh, I know I, I, I like I like the setup I like the concept of that and um, and I like that they that the the whole focus of the episode really becomes about uh, Toshiko trying to get messages to the present uh, and and you know like like you know like placing like they basically need these formulas so that they can fix the time the, the temporal shift I think and yeah and so she has to send them the math formulas and in the context of her being Japanese in 1941, that's you know, <laughs> that that makes those moments a lot more intense because they you know what people intense. are going to think if they see her, uh, you know, slipping a piece of paper with weird numbers on it into some kind of bin somewhere. You know, it's like it's she's clear. You know, it, it clearly could look like she's a spy or something. So yeah, I yeah, I, uh, I, I really like Tasha a lot in this episode. I think it, it's one of her best episodes so far. She. Uh... You know, so, I mean, she's very, very tense through the whole episode, and it's very believable. <laughs> no, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, that was the end of my comment oh, okay. there. But uh, but now the stuff I didn't like about this episode all had to do with with Owen and Yanto, mm, and and the and the sort of you know my cyber girlfriend versus your you know pilot <laughs> time travel girlfriend. That stuff, like, because it was so. It was just like the first time I saw this episode, I didn't even really notice it that much because I was so focused on when, what what's going on with Tosh and Jack. But yeah. this time that dialogue leapt out at me is really ridiculous. Um, yeah. And and, you know, and and Owen's like ready to like rip time in half. And it's just uh, I don't know. It, yeah, I did. I didn't understand Owen at all in this episode it was just he's oh i'm gonna i don't care what happens i'm gonna open up the rift and break the universe what what are you doing i don't even understand where this came from so so here's my theory (laughs) and i've said this before i think this is again the influence of 24 on the Uh torchwood series because if you watch 24 it's basically a soap opera and they constantly have 
feuds like that going on, um, you know, in their counter terror, uh, sorry, their counter terrorism agency. So that so I think that um, you know, it, it like like there like it looked like like there was a character named Tony, and and it seemed like some I could see Tony and Jack in twenty four Tony and somebody else having like a a beef like that in the uh-huh. middle of an episode and and again so i i think i think what that was was maybe the 24 influence and them trying to inject a little 24 melodrama into things but yeah. but you you add in like the melodrama is surrounding you know yanto's uh cyberwoman girlfriend and and the and the time traveling woman you know pilot that uh owen was in love with and it just kind of sounded a little bit silly. It was it it, it just didn't work. <laughs> no, and, it didn't. And I mean, yeah, like I said, I, I, it's you know, it it, it just I, I you know, and I mean, the thing is too, it, like it makes ultimately Owen's the guy that's right and Yanto's wrong, and yeah. it's just like I don't even know how to feel about that because it's like <laughs> Yanto. Was, well, Yanto, Yanto, once again, every time Yanto pops up, he still hasn't gotten a whole lot to do this season. Mm-hmm. It's like he is kind of there on the sidelines, which to, to a degree works. He's just the quiet guy in the background. But I don't know. I, I didn't didn't care for any of that plot line. And the thing is, too, you've got this nice emotional plot line going in the other half of the show. So it really it, it's it's even more abrasive for that reason. No, I, I would agree, and I think um, I think that the uh, it also felt out of place. Like this did not feel like the time for them to be having that conversation. Do you know no. what I mean? It, by all means, before you go into work, after you're in work, but like, like I think they, I think like they, I don't know. I just feel like it just seemed like a for 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 people who are used to dealing with all like, uh, you know, really weird stuff happening they probably should have been more professional in that moment, given the stakes, uh, you know, and, and instead, instead the, the tension, it was just, it was used for dramatic purposes. And I don't know. I just yeah. didn't think it worked. And I, I forgot yeah. to mention too, I, I had a, I had a thought about, um, the previous episode that I didn't want to, that I didn't want to forget to mention. Owen fights, Owen goes in and, 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 and fights a weevil. And, it's not like he hasn't fought one before. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like they've true. been capturing them all this time. So why is this like a new experience? For yeah, all? I, I fight monsters every week. Yeah. I'm going to go in the cage and fight a monster. Yeah. It's like, that's your job, Owen. Yeah. <laughs> like, so, so, you know, but it's like this quasi mystical experience in the, so I don't know. It was just like a, a thought I had about that. But, but that for the, a good point. but for the Captain Jack, Jack Harkness episode, I, I liked all the stuff going on in the forties. I think the, the stuff with even the stuff going on, like when they were like trying to get to the bottom, like I, I felt like they just could have, having it would have been more exciting just to watch more of them dealing with the dance hall in the modern period or something um yeah yeah anything else but uh the the um yeah my other realization too is you know in, in their in their cyber woman uh airplane woman debate they have is that that uh owen's big comeback is like oh yeah well you know you're you're 
cyber woman romance you know she tried to kill us all and my you know it's not like my airplane woman romance then but of course he's just about to do something that'll potentially kill them all so <laughs> it's like that doesn't doesn't hold a lot of weight but uh but yeah but, but yeah but I, I i would agree that 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 side of it i have i have like three notes on the dialogue from that uh that scene and how it it just kind of felt weird um, yeah, but the, it, it thought, is one of those things where it's easier to complain than praise things because, like I said, the dance hall parts were were well done, and I have a lot less to say yeah. than I do about well, the dance hall. They really got the mood down, like the atmosphere uh-huh. really worked, and and I just I just really felt like the peril that they were in because you know you, yeah. you know suddenly it's it's and it's cool that they had kind of already introduced the concept with Owen's girlfriend, so you kind you you knew what was going on, you understood how much how difficult it might be for them to get back and um and and i just again i just liked the, the you know like you know him being an american or having an american accent and and her being japanese that definitely added to the to the uh the the danger of the situation for them so yeah um, yeah especially when he couldn't say it was jack harkness he had to come up with another name and you're like oh who's he gonna what's he gonna say what he say uh i'm james harper was <laughs> that <laughs> i know that, that was kind of weird though how he's like oh uh you go first <laughs> <laughs> yeah i guess i guess the whole episode would have fallen apart if he had said jack harkness before harkness. the real jack harkness had said that, that but uh yeah then they would have just arrested him reasonable. for being a spy i guess i don't know <laughs> it, it, i guess it is reasonable that he knows there is a real jack harkness out there so he had a reason to be a little uh a little cautious but uh you think he almost would have just pulled out a fake name to begin with but yeah whatever <laughs> and uh the, the other thing that was kind of yeah, dialogue i kind of was like really are you gonna say that is when uh you know the 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 british officers are like oh well she's chinese the chinese are an ally she's like no no i'm japanese it's like why won't you just <laughs> oh yeah, yeah just just go with it <laughs> just, yeah just go with it they can't tell japanese and chinese people apart you are fine <laughs> yeah I, they won't I even think... know they won't even know that toshiko is not a chinese did... name they'd be they, they wouldn't know any better had any of that <laughs> dawned on her yet though i think she might not have just been aware yet that the uh... i think she was aware oh, at that was? point okay. though because i mean you know one of the first things she says you know is like you know when they first get there is uh you know he don't you know it already had the the exchange where where uh, harkness said to her you know it's like oh let's just blend in it's just like oh that's easy for you <laughs> so yeah, it was okay, already yeah. it's already kind of rolling on her mind yeah i guess maybe not not pointing that out would have been wise um mm-hmm. but uh but hey i you know people do dumb things in a panic all the time so hey <laughs> but, uh, but yeah but i i i i liked the episode a lot i thought it was one I did of the better episodes of the season. um and i think it's like a good it's like a good even if somebody doesn't watch torchwood it's probably it's like one of those episodes you might recommend to somebody who isn't going to watch all of torchwood but hey this is like a standout episode to to sort of check out um, it's yeah especially with someone that watched the early seasons of doctor who with you know, with Jack Harkness, as they already know that character, yeah. it's like, hey, here's a little little taste that way. This would be yeah. a perfect introduction. Well, and it's good for backstory too, because if you want to know, like, if you if if you're only interested in Doctor Who and just want to find out about Jack Harkness, this is a good episode because you get a sense of how he ended up where he where they introduced him. So yeah, it's uh, I, I think it's definitely a um a good episode for that. But um, uh, 
but yeah, I don't know. I think um, I don't know. So what wh- what is your expectation of next episode? Because they are uh, uh, obviously the whole thing with Bayless Manger is built. To yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's the thing. He's kind of a, a complete enigma. It's like I. I have no, I, I enjoyed the character just cause he's, you know, just got that classic, you know, British character actor villainous thing down perfectly. Well, his interactions yeah. with, with Toshiko when she was using the camera and it was, you know, like, Oh, this is becoming a bad habit. And you know, yeah. very, you know, very, yeah, very I, calm at ease villain. Yeah, so it's like I have no idea where this character is going, but I, I, I want to see more of this character is my feeling at the moment. Because, yeah, I just, I don't know, what was his plot? What was he up to? Did he go through the rift? Uh, or is he just some immortal dude who just hangs out there all the time? I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> because he has his mysterious Torchwood folder, which means is he part of Torchwood or does he have a folder on Torchwood? Or So there's a lot of ways you could interpret that. Yeah, this whole comment about the laptop when, uh, <laughs> but, yes, but, yeah, uh, but, uh, what do you call it? A metal attache case? Was that what he called it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it seemed odd though that he like couldn't believe the idea that there would be a metal attache. It seems like at some point somebody would have made one. It's not an completely I, impossible I think, contraption. I, think, I mean, I can't remember if this is contradicted in the next episode, but my feeling was that he probably knows that that's a laptop yeah you're right, you're right. he knows exactly yeah. what it is yeah that, that was kind of, I, i'm kind of repeating a thought that went through my head at that moment in the show because i didn't know it was going to turn up <laughs> in the future at that point so i'm kind of reciting oh i, what I thought at the moment but <laughs> but yeah so i but i but yeah i think uh i know what you I don't want to spoil the next episode, but I, I was just curious what you were anticipating. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't don't want to hear any more. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to the next episode, definitely. All right, yeah. So we have we have one more episode of Torchwood this season, and then we're, uh, you know, we're done with this season. Um, but uh, I guess I don't know. It brings up some interesting gaming concepts, like we were talking about before the podcast, where. Um, mm-hmm. The, the especially the Jack Harkness episode is we were talking about splitting up the party in a game and it's interesting that in this one it's a party that's split by time rather than by place and yes. I think that you know I you know I I, I was running a time travel uh, session earlier in the week and I one of the members of the party didn't go back with them they just didn't you know the, the thing to get you back in time that player just wasn't he wasn't on board when it happened so so he got stranded in the present and i was debating do i let do i play out things on his end as a split party situation or do i have him play another character and i went with having him play another character but i think in hindsight it might have been more interesting to have him in the present because you do have these possibilities of them trying to communicate with him and then you know it, it could it 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 it's an interesting scenario yeah, or reality changing him around him based on what the other players do, or <laughs> yeah, you could do a lot of fun stuff with that. But yeah, I, I, you know, we talked about time travel already, and I've, I've done some time travel, but I've never, never had a split party over time. That that would be a challenge. Well, but... I, I mean, and also I think in this case there are some conceits that made that work better. 
than it might work in like a typical RPG. Like you, you might not get this exact type of scenario. Do you know what I mean? It might, you know, yeah. you could just have another guy waiting there for nothing for no reason. Um, yeah, you know, so. yeah. So I mean, that's the thing. This all depends on them getting information to the present. But it's uh, yeah. As far as splitting the party in general, though, I I'm more okay with splitting the party than a lot of people are. Uh, I know that some people really hate the idea. I think I think uh, you know I mean, one one key to splitting the party is just being able to jump back and forth quickly. It's like you need to boom, spend a few minutes with one group, boom, jump back to the other group. If you if you leave one group stranded too long, they you know it's it, they lose interest. That's really hard sometimes too because what's going on on each end can be more interesting. I, yeah. I try to I try to key it to fifteen minute increments. That's sort of my standard that I've. But I, but I fail regularly because a sure. lot of times you'll be with one group. It's like, well, this is really exciting. And if I switch back to, to the person twiddling their thumbs, you know, it's like, uh, but, you know, you, you do have to switch back and forth. So, um, well, I think, I think one key to is reading the room because sometimes the people that aren't playing, the people that are left are really fascinated in what's happening in the other side. If you like see their actively interested audience, yeah. you can stick, you can stick with the group you've got because nobody is bored. Yeah. It's just when you, like you said, when the other side is twiddling their thumbs, that's when you're like, oh, okay, I better have something happen over here. Yeah. And yeah, I think, I think another ingredient depends on the system you're using too, because you know, if you're doing, you know, the third edition thing where you've got the miniatures and the combat that takes, you know, half an hour or hard. longer, then if, if one side gets into a fight, you know, guess what, guys? You people in the other group might not get to do anything tonight. <laughs> but theater of the mind, it's pretty easy, I think, to do. Yeah. Because it feels like chapters in a book and not necessarily, you know, because it's flowing like a book or anything, but just because, you know, you're going back and forth from like this group to that group. And it's, I don't know, it's kind of a nice transition, I think. Yeah. Um, I've, I've even done it. I mean, everybody has sort of their limits, I suppose, on it. Like, I know some GMs, they'll allow splitting in a tight area, but they might not want, you know, one side mm-hmm. of the party to go north and the other part. I, I in, in my Sunday group, I've had the party in three different areas of the, of the, of the, of the empire, uh, where I've been split between three different groups. Um, yeah, over vast differences, uh, of vast difference uh, distances, and it's a it's a challenge, but it can be very. It can also be interesting because they they can do it in tandem, like they can they can they can be working towards similar goals in different locations, and um, and so you know it, it. You just have to be careful with the distribution of time. Yes, but uh, yeah, I mean, in your in your Saturday game, I'm in. It's like we split up all the time. We're always wandering all over the city, <laughs> doing our own thing, and you know, or like in pairs or, or whatever. And it, it, I, I don't even really think about it much. It's kind of just become kind of a standard thing in that campaign. Well, in and, urban campaigns, that's hard not to do sometimes. I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It just feels natural, and I've never, I've never had an issue with it. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it, and I, generally I'm also very interested in what the other players are doing too, where, you know, we, we, we have a lot of things going on, but there's overall some kind of unity of purpose there. So I'm, you know, I want to see what the other guys are doing. But yeah, and, 
Oh, I'm sorry. No, I, I'm sorry. I feel like I had one more point that just got away from Oh, that's okay. It's, <laughs> it's, we're getting on now. Yeah, we're getting on. So I guess the, the other thing, too, worth you know bringing into gaming, because I thought I think... Uh, you know the 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 villain in uh, in the last episode is I thought he was like a very strong villain and uh, yeah um, and so just you know the idea of like villains in campaigns um, I don't know what your approach is to villains if you even think of NPCs as villains or not but how you manage that yeah I mean obviously sometimes I think of a, of a character as a villain. I mean, other times I have characters for different purposes and the players, you know, they may become the villains purely by what goal the players go with. But yeah, I, I, I think, I think this episode is a good way to introduce a villain because, you know, the classic, the classic problem in RPGs is you have a villain show up for one scene and the players kill them and they never get, you know, to, yeah. it's like, Oh, I wanted to do more with that guy. And it's like, you know, you can do the, the cheap GM thing of, of having the player get a miraculous escape that you engineered through cheating, which I don't like doing. No, that, that pisses players off to no end in my, in my experience. Um, yeah. But this, I, this episode sets up a guy who you think is a villain, but you don't know that he's a villain. So there's no reason for the players to kill him, but they, yeah. They get to interact with him, spend some time with him. So, you know, if next episode yeah. they end up killing the guy, they've at least so, had some good scenes with him. Though I suspect if um, if this were a player character party, <laughs> he would have been tortured and imprisoned by the party within like the first ten minutes of the set. You know, like what do you know? Like they would, like I, I could just imagine what a group of paranoid player characters might do to a, to an NPC uh, like that, um, I can, I can, who's behaving I can. mysteriously. Um, I can think of at least one player in our Saturday group who would do that, but uh, he would he would probably be missing a couple of fingers by now. But <laughs> but uh, but I think the uh, for me the way that I approach villains is number one I think it's they kind of have to earn their place because of that unpredictability. Like like you were saying, like, yeah. Like if uh, if if you have them show up for a session they might end up dead by the end of the session. The players never deal with them again, unless you engineer like an escape. That's a cheat. And so I, I just, you know, I, in it, the, the way I do it is if the villain survives, the villain survives and the villains who mm -hmm. manage to survive over a long period of time, they can become very big villains in the campaign. But I think just due to the nature of an RPG where you don't know how the dice are going to go, um, it's, you have to be very and, and and some games will have things that make escape easy, like uh, uh, the, you know, like the game that I'm running now does have a, t a teleport ability, so it's so some people yeah. can escape, but but you still have to even be careful then because I I had one villain legitimately use that to escape, and, yeah, and uh, and this was in a campaign you're not in, but it was it was a uh, um, it was my uh, alt my other Saturday campaign. And I don't think that the players bought it when it happened. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah, so yeah, and it was totally above board. It wasn't like I was cheating, but it was suspect because that's how GMs cheat. Do you know what I mean? Like that's the movie pull. So it is. It is. Yeah, I remember uh, when uh, I, I I used to play uh, play with in, in Greg Stolze's group back when he was line developer for Feng Shui and. You know, he was like brainstorming ideas for new sticks that people could have, like abilities and stuff. I'm like, hey, how about some cool ability you could give the villain where he could like really easily, you know, escape the fight? That mm -hmm. would be handy. 
just looked at me. He's like, why would anyone want to run away from a fight in a feng shui adventure? And I was like, oh, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. <laughs> it's like, that's the, the whole point of the game is to have the fight. But I was like, yeah, 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 no, scratch that idea. <laughs> but yeah, I think, I think the best villains in RPGs, they, they sort of survive naturally over time. You can, you can build a character like hoping it becomes a villain, but I've had so many, like I had a, I had a character, um, my, my relentless corpse queen character. She was, she, you know, she's, a, um, uh, was meant as a big, bad villain. She's really powerful, but not powerful enough for a group of five player characters who corner her when she's at her weakest moment. You know, it's just, there's, there's yeah. just, you never know, you know, you, you know, so my villain died a pretty humiliating quick death. Uh, yeah. and, uh, that's just what happens. You can't, you can't really, I think if you resist that, then you lose the, you lose the room if you, yeah, you, you do. Know. It's, I mean, I, I, it, this is something that came up with in Savage Worlds discussions a lot because Savage Worlds has the whole exploding dice thing. So you can get really crazy results in that game. Mm. And you know, then, then, so you always have this discussion that pops up again and again in online forums. It's like, well, you know, it's not fair because my big NPC, big boss got killed in one blow. And it's like, thing is, I've had that happen in games where I ran Savage Worlds and the players loved it. They yeah. absolutely, I had, I had a player kill a dragon that I, I was having the dragon just fly overhead. I was like, I'm not going to have the players fight this dragon because you kill them. I'm just going to have the dragon fly through as a warning. And one of them killed the dragon with a throwing knife. And awesome. was I mean, just... that's, that's an amazing thing. <laughs> that, that's, that's, that's perfect. And I think, yeah. And players like that. I, I, I ran, I ran a, a similar type of thing where I was running, um, I was running a Ravenloft campaign and my, my, my business partner, Bill was, uh, was a player in the game. And yeah. I think the big villain was a bishop of some kind. I, you know, I, just, I don't know if he was from the church of Ezra or what, but he was, he was some kind of bishop who was like an evil, cunning, you know, uh, you know, priest. And, and there was a big fight at one of the cathedrals with them and and they basically used good tactics or something and they ended up pushing him back and he had to try to run away and the only place he could run away through was like a window and i think i gave him like a i must have given him some kind of role to see if he made it through the window and he didn't so he kind of got stuck clamoring through the window <laughs> and they just ran up to him and and, and and killed him and uh and i remember years later bill said to me said that was like one of the best moments in 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 the campaign that's when i realized i really liked the campaign because you didn't protect the bad guy from us and it felt like like we got the victory yeah. that we earned and i think gm sometimes when they're chasing this majestic final scene if you do that to the detriment of letting the dice do what the dice are going to do the players can feel really cheated by it and that can definitely happen if you're protecting your villains um, yeah and it's it, a lot of a lot of game masters get hung up on the eye that a good fight scene is a long fight scene, and that isn't always the case. It's you know I mean it's kind of like realization watching Pulp Fiction for the first time, where I'm like, wow, that character just got banged, dead, <laughs> gone. You know, yeah. it's just it just just kind of happens, and it's like you know sometimes having a good elaborate fight scene is great, but those sudden sudden brutal deaths are also great you want you want to contrast with both of those well i think one of the things that movies sometimes don't have because just because of the nature of the medium is 
surprise. You know, it, it's, it's very risky for them to surprise you with the death of the protagonist, for example. They can do it, but that's yeah. a big. It's a big risk, and it, and it might they might unravel the whole film. But I think in in games, the surprise is like a feature. Surprise mm-hmm. is something that's that's a good part of of play, and 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 you really should just kind of embrace it. And and again, I mean, it's great to have these visions of these big villains that you want the players to fight, but the players most of the time they're not thinking like you are. They're not. They're not. They're not. They're not hoping for that big, grand. You know, unless they've been unless they've been like trained through years of play to think that yeah. way. I think most players. You know, they just kind of, you know, they they, they want to try things and see what happens. And, and, and if they if they if they get a victory in the first 10 seconds, that's great. It doesn't bother them. If it takes 10 minutes, it's it's you know, it's fine, too. But like uh, if 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 you're if you're smoothing it along as a GM, I feel like it it doesn't feel like it's really happening. Like if, uh, yeah, for me as a player, you're controlling the pace. You're yeah. Not- you're not letting letting things. I mean, every fight is going to feel the same if you're trying to control the pace of a fight. Yeah, yeah, that's and so I think I think with villains, that's where you really see it a lot is where, because you're tra- a lot of times you'll tra- you know the impulse is to try to protect the villain to make sure he stays mm-hmm. in the game, um, and you know d- d- you know they don't they don't need to stay around. You know you can I I can keep making characters until one of them survives. It's it's not a big deal. In fact, yeah. I kind of like that. There's, um, you know, like I, I again, like the game we're on on Saturday is a, is a wuxia game, and one of the great wuxia writers is Gu Long, and he's famous for having like these, real, like every character that the the hero fights could be a villain in his own story. Do you know what I mean like they're all sort of these <laughs> stark, sort of you know nasty, distinct and interesting characters, and a lot of times they'll show up, they'll do their distinct and interesting thing, and then they're dead. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And but you remember who they were because they were distinct and interesting. And so I think that's the that's kind of yeah. a good approach for an RPG. You know, like so if the if the big bad guy shows up and is all dramatic and you know he gets stabbed in the chest and dies, it's fine. Um, you'll have you'll you know there'll be another guy down the pike that uh, that'll uh, you know give them a run for their money. Yeah, well, that's that's a good point. When you have the villain, don't don't hold back things on a villain. Don't go. I'm going to do this thing with this villain two two sessions from now because they might not be around. Go. Yeah. What what do I want this villain to yeah. do? I'm going to have him go try and do this thing now. And and I and yeah, and the other thing is, you know, if you if you want some kind of persistent force of villainy, it, it needs to be an organization or an ideology or something that, you know, that can, can continually keep spitting villains out. Don't, don't have one guy who's the whole linchpin of your yeah. villainy. Unless, well, you can do that, but just be ready for it to be and, the end. And there are some villains that I think the players are naturally just going to allow to fester because they're afraid of their power. So like if you introduce yeah. like a classic example would probably be like a lich in a D&D campaign. If you introduce a lich, I think most player characters are not just going to march off to kill him. You know, they're going to they're going yes. to they're gonna be a little cautious because they don't know what's you know, they don't know what's going to be awaiting them, especially if they're not high enough level. So it's it's pretty easy in a game like that to introduce a powerful character that the players are going to just naturally wait for. But then when they do face him, you know, yeah, I think it's still important to like, you know, not not protect him and, and, and allow for whatever unfolds to happen. Um, but but yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, you know, the other thing too is the most interesting villains if you, if you sort of if you play by the philosophy of the uh the villains have to sort of earn their place in the campaign what that really means is they have to survive multiple confrontations with the party and that is 
mm-hmm. an easy way to build a good villain because it's built around the things that have happened to them. So, so they've already had, you know, if you have a character that's had like eight confrontations with the party, they have like a shared history and they have a reason to hate each other. You know, uh, like it's just an example in my Sunday campaign, one of the, one of the characters who sort of is slowly becoming one of the more villainous figures in the campaign they cut off her hands and they, they, they shipped her back to her sect as like an insult. And, yeah. and so now there's like this, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't have written that backstory <laughs> and had it have the, now I have this character whose hands were taken away, but she's got like a legitimate beef with the party. And, oh yeah. And, and, it's, and I didn't need, you know, you don't, so I think you can let the characters kind of do a lot of the villain backstory writing for you by the things they do to people in the course of their, their daily you know, the weekly campaigns. Um, yeah. Well, that, that raises another point though. And players do <laughs> somewhat atrocious things. If you're, if your players are going around murdering anybody who opposes them, that's going to create villains yeah. for them. Well, like opposition for them. If not, not villains in the term of people that are against the party. It's like, you know, it's a lot of times players have this tendency to kill people that in, if there were a real conflict like this, there'd be no real reason to murder this yeah. person. <laughs> no, and, uh, and I should say, in the player character's defense, this was a character who started out kind of evil and was trying to reform himself. And, yeah. And this was, this was, it sounds horrible, he cut off her hands and shipped her back to the sect, but it was really a kind of mercy because two months ago, the character would have just killed her. And so <laughs> he was just trying to take away her ability to fight them and and maybe didn't think through you know in three months she'll probably be back with a you know with a with a real serious grudge um, yeah yeah but that's uh yeah exactly I, I wasn't trying to pick on that player as being a horrible person or anything <laughs> but uh I, i'm just saying it, it you know if, if you're you know it's, it's good if you can create situations where players i mean you don't want to do the morality thing of punishing players for killing people or anything to an excessive extent but if it's realistic to Go ahead and do it. Have consequences for these things. Well, and some settings do have a cosmology where that can happen. Like, uh, like Ravenloft mm-hmm. had the powers checks, and so if somebody goes around doing bad things, that'll affect them. And the game I'm in now has karma, so you know if they're going yeah. around doing bad things, they will get bad karma. Um, so I think you know, there's, there's, I think it's fair. I, I think you, I, I don't, I don't think when I'm GMing that kind of thing, I don't think like, okay, this is like my individual morality, and I'm trying to, you know, like bring it to the table i think more in terms of what is the morality of the cosmology and then i try to apply it if that makes sense but yeah no that does yeah yeah rain has a has a cosmology that uh, is set up for that now i think about it. in rain if you murder well if you kill someone who's begged you for mercy they will haunt you for the rest of your okay. life that's a pretty interesting <laughs> one yeah i i yeah I developed sort of an unspoken rule like that where if you killed some because there are spirits in in my campaign world and so I developed a uh, a rule of thumb that if you do something pretty atrocious to somebody especially if it involves love then there's a good yeah. chance they're going to come back to haunt you. So we had a character who who murdered a woman that he that that, that he was in love with uh because of a feud between sex and stuff. And yeah. and he did it in a, in a way that was, you know, that warranted her coming back as a ghost. And so uh and so that that happened. Um Yep, but uh, yeah. but yeah, I, I think stuff like that's good. I think having and that that's a great way to bring a villain to a game because if you have like a if you have like a clear procedure in mind for 
what causes somebody to come back and haunt you as a ghost that yeah. that that can lead to very interesting so th- this 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 character actually came back as a spirit who started haunting their sect headquarters and was like tossing people <laughs> over the the edge of the cliffs and uh and they eventually had to seal like they couldn't destroy her so they had to seal her in a section of the headquarters and <laughs> and so there's just like this this area that like you know in an extreme emergency the guy who's being haunted has a way of opening the seal, but otherwise it's, uh, awesome. <laughs> so. yeah, I, I, cause yeah, there's, there are good ways for, uh, cause you know, you know, going back to the rain thing, it's, it, it works well from the standpoint that, you know, you're not, you're, you're not creating point, you know, a lack of fights to death. It's like plenty of fights. People are not going to beg for mercy. And even yeah. if, even if a villain does beg for mercy, you know, he's he's lost a lot of face in yeah. doing that. It's like beating a guy, having him beg for mercy and letting him go. It's like he's going to look like a chump. So yeah. it's still a PC victory. Well, and are uh, players aware of that mechanic or is it something that just the GM would ideally know? And the no, it's just would... part of the it's, it's just common knowledge in the mm-hmm. world about the way the okay. world works. Okay. So, you know, you're not you're not pulling a gotcha on them. It's, OK. Uh, if they decide to kill someone that begs for mercy, they, they know what they're doing. Okay. All right. That's interesting. Yeah. That's, I like that mechanic. I like that mechanic. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, so we've been going on for almost an hour, so I think we'll probably want to end it. Want to wrap it up. Yeah. Um, but did you have any additional thoughts on either the gaming or the episodes before we, uh, we head out? I think, uh, I think I've said all I have to say for this, this session. Okay. And, uh, and so this Friday, I think we're doing um, Journey to the West, Conquering the Demons. And I know I've got some other movie or topic, but I, I can't remember right now. But, but this Friday, we'll be doing Journey to the West, Conquering the Demons. And, uh, and until then, we will talk to you later. <laughs>